So here we are. Welcome uh, to Living Disciples. And this week we are looking at Jesus. And uh, particularly is on awareness of his mission, of his identity, and uh, looking at his... Uh, uh, was it... A was, well, his credibility as well in his way of living his life as an example for us to indicate to us how to live our life as well. In uh, So, here we go. Uh, in all his life, Jesus, uh, whether, you know, whatever he was doing, his work, uh, what really stands out is his awareness that his work uh, was done in the name of somebody. His awareness that he was working, acting, speaking in the name of the one who had sent him. I, I am sent. I have come to do the will of the Father. He is basically uh, what, what Jesus conveyed to us uh, in words but also in actions. So, uh, that's the first point. Jesus, aware of his mission as being sent. Uh, it, it's really uh, in, in the four Gospels, but in the Gospel of John, it's very, very present. Uh, now, we spent a whole year last year <laughs> with Father Columba <laughs> studying St. John, so uh, we are familiar with St. John, but... Uh, there's so many, there's about 25 times in the Gospel of John uh, an expression saying the one whom God sent or uh, that I've been sent. Uh, yeah, with that idea of, of being a messenger, of being, being uh, well, basically that's the word apostles is those who are sent. So in some ways of, of being uh, the first Apostle in some ways. Uh, so just just to give you uh, a couple of places. So uh, Gospel of John, uh, three thirty four, five thirty six, six twenty nine, ten thirty six, seventeen, three. I mean, it's it's only a handful. Uh, as I said, there's there's uh, twenty five different. Instance of those expressions in in the Gospel of John, uh, and and that is connected with his conscious awareness that he existed even before he was born. His awareness of his pre-existence. So, for instance, in John eight forty-two, we hear Jesus say, "For I came from God, and am here." I did not come on my own, but he sent me. So he, if he was sent, that means he was somewhere else before he arrived here on earth. Mm. So that's why I'm saying it's connected with that awareness of his pre-existence. That he's not just, oh, yeah, I, I, I'm just like 30 years old. and uh, No, there's something deeper there uh, that is coming from, from way before that. Uh, and and also uh, there is that deep sense uh, from Jesus of being an ambassador in some ways, 
like uh, when you're a, a spokesperson for the group, you are given by the group or by the the person you're the spokesperson of uh, the authority to speak in their name or his name or whatever it is. Uh, so there's there's uh, that authority, and it's very clear that Jesus has that deep sense of authority, being invested in that authority, and it's uh, well people are kind of noticing it. He speaks differently than others. He speaks with authority. Whereas uh, all the rabbis, the scribes at the time, would uh, just, would not answer in their own name. They would just quote. So in regard to that question, uh, so-and-so said this. Uh, in, in the scripture, you hear that. And there's a, a third possibility uh, but since there's more quote for that, then, you know, they, they will not decide. They will just look at, uh, which is also pretty much what the theologians nowadays yeah. are doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if they are good, they're just looking at what uh, the church preach everywhere at all times to look at what is uh, believed uh, commonly, what is part of the deposit of the faith, to, uh, to look into that. But... Uh, but Jesus is different. Jesus is different. I do not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and speak. So here he is uh, given this mission and authority, sent to speak, sent to pass on a message. So that, that quote I gave you is from John 12, Verse 49, I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and speak. And so we, we do find in, in the four Gospels, even in the synoptics also, that, that clear awareness of Jesus, uh, well, Jesus' awareness of his own mission. So, uh, for instance, when Jesus goes from town to town, he proclaims the gospel because he was sent for this. That's what we hear in Luke 4, verse 43. And when Jesus speaks about his mission, he says, I have come for this. Or, do not think that I have come to abolish the law, but for my mission. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So he came for a purpose. He came for a purpose. And he has a clear awareness of that. So the, uh, the different quotes here were uh, Matthew 5.17, Mark 2.17, and Matthew 10.34. And then in Luke 19.10, uh, for the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. And in that coming, I have come, or the Son of Man came, there's always uh, that movement of going out and being sent, as, as I said, being commissioned for a clear purpose. 
And Jesus is also aware of uh, the consequences of his mission. He's aware uh, that uh, depending of how he's received, there will be consequences for the people. And we see that in, in Matthew 10, 40 and, and Luke 10, 16. Because he's aware that the one who accept him, accept the one who sent him, and the one who reject him, reject the one who sent him. So we, we see that that intimate, intimate connection between Jesus, his mission, and, and the one who commissioned him and sent him. And that's why uh, his mission, uh, to accomplish his mission, he is able to, to act with power. Now, this awareness of his mission is not just in his words, but also in, in his way of living his life. His attitude towards, uh, towards the, the, the challenge of life, towards whatever is happening in his life. He is in the world, but it's, it is clear that there is, he is detached from the world. Uh, he is kind of, uh, in some ways, there's a, a certain uh, isolation. I don't know if the word aloofness would suit, but uh, there is in the world, but... It's clear that it's kind of a, a little bit like a, a pearl of water on the back of a duck. <laughs> it doesn't stick, right? It just glides over the... So there, there's something uh, into that. And which means that uh, in some ways uh, there's a certain loneliness in, in Jesus. Even though he, he surrounded himself with, with disciples, they, there's... He's, there's something different that makes him unique and a little bit uh, apart. And, and maybe all that is due to the fact that he had a, a deep longing. And that longing was for what? For his homeland. For heaven. And, but also not to go there alone. So that's why it, uh, he had the longing, but he wanted to come with me <laughs> to bring as many <laughs> with him as possible. And and also the 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 one thing that we all know is attitude in life is is uh, unfailing obedience to the will of the Father. So it's clear that the Father has set a path for him and that path in, must come true in his life, must manifest in his life. See, see when you say obedience to the Father, like, what would your advice be to someone that like, knows the will of the Father but struggles through human respect in a sense to offended people or hurting people's feelings, let's say? Well, that's where you see Jesus being detached from the things of the world and detached from, from that. Yeah. And, uh, but I think it's more like his longing 
for uh, for the kingdom of the Father. Yes. He's longing to be in His presence. He's longing to be with Him in heaven. That really trumped everything. Yeah. And uh, and and because of that, uh, we see Him having uh, kind of a, a strange, uh, almost. Yeah, a, a strange authority about uh, over events. So there's several times where it seems that the crowds is about to catch him, and somehow is able to glide out of it and escape. Like, where, where, <laughs> he was just here a second ago. Where did he go? Well, for instance, Nazareth, when uh, he first preached there, and you tell them, you know, he cannot perform anything because they don't believe in him, and they were pushing him to the brow of the, the cliff, you know, at, at, at the side of the village, to push him over. Uh, and somehow, he just walked out with, I mean, it's not explained how, but, <laughs> but just, yeah, he walks away. And there's, there's several other examples example like that, where they were going to take him, but no one raised his hand to him, because his hour has not yet come. So here, uh, it's very clear that no matter what, he's in charge. And, and actually, he's the one who decided when things would happen, and particularly his passion. And, and, but, but all this, uh, I said he decides, but actually I just spoke about obedience. So uh, the truth is, in all things, he says that he does it because... The father asked him. Whatever, I, and, and Father Isaac mentioned that to us last week, uh, whatever I see the father do, I do. I do nothing out of the father. Uh, and John is, is incredible in that. Sometimes he gives me the, the, I'm getting dizzy reading, I'm in the father, the father is in me as father and I are one. I mean, all, I mean he just goes and... <laughs> But it's to indicate that intimacy, but uh, to indicate also how uh, Jesus, yeah, is his heart being totally in union. So his will being in communion with the Father's will. Now, I'm talking about his human will. Because his divine will is the same will as the Father. So there's, it would be a nonsense to say that he united his divine will with with his divine father. Well, it doesn't make sense. It's the same. So when we say that he uh, adjusted his will to the father's will, it was his human uh, humanity. His, in his humanity, it was his, uh, his uh, human will that he adjusted to the father's will. So it's in his humanity that he... Uh, that his obedience was exercised. And uh, and in his humanity, he was able to do that only because of his total trust in the Father's providence. His total trust in the one who commanded him that what he commanded uh, would be for the greater good of all, and that he would be able to fulfill his part of the bargain. Uh, so, uh, quite often, I don't know about you, but I, uh, I skip that 
And, and to me, it was like, yeah, well, they, they are so in communion. But I didn't realize that in his humanity, Jesus had to, uh, to domesticate his will, if you will, to, to work at that, to align it with, with Jesus. He had to learn uh, to, to trust as well. And so uh, it's only when the Father asks him that he will uh, preach certain things. It's only when, uh, in the timing of the Father, that he will uh, that he will uh, go for his passion and death. There are several times where uh, it seems that people are hinting to him, "It's time," and he said, "My time has not yet come." And how does he know that? It's because the Father hasn't, hasn't told me yet to do it. He hasn't directed me towards that yet. Uh, but when, when it's time, he says it, now the time has come. Uh, particularly in, in Gospel of John, but also in, in the synoptics. He goes out and faces what he has to do. His, his mission. This is the hour get up, let's, let us go. And you can find that in Matthew 26, verse 45, or Mark 14, verse 41. Now, he was aware that his mission uh, was a, a specific one. He was aware that his mission was a messianic mission. It, it's clear that he is uh, fully aware of that. It's not the disciples or uh, the people or anyone around him that persuaded him of his messianic dignity. No, it's, it's himself who acted accordingly and, and, uh, and, and kind of convey that truth to, uh, to the people around him, particularly to the disciples. However, uh, well, I'll, I'll get to that. But how do we know that? Well, uh, first example, when John the Baptist sent his disciples, he's imprisoned, and uh, he sent his disciples. Now, the debate right here, we won't debate whether or not it was because John the Baptist doubted or was it because he wanted to redirect his disciples towards the one mm. who really, I mean, to kind of, Okay, go there. <laughs> and that's why he sent them asking the question, are you the one who is to come? Which is a typical expression to designate the Messiah. So there's no confusion about that. The, the, the use of that expression, are you the one who is to come, was very, very clearly uh, pointing to the Messiah. And so that episode, by the way, is in Matthew 11. Uh, at the start of Matthew 11. Uh, and, and how did Jesus answer? Uh, basically, he said, well, look, look at what's happening. And what's happening is everything that fulfilled the prophecies from Isaiah 35, 5 and, and following. And so basically, uh, he answered in, in the same term, or he used kind of a, the same kind of language 
that the disciples of John the Baptist use, they're using prophetic language. The one who is to come, it's the prophets that spoke that way about the Messiah. And so he remains in that kind of way of talking, and he points out to the signs. And, and they had no difficulty to, to understand that basically what he was saying is like, yes, I am the one. So here we have a clear example that Jesus uh, has no difficulty to, to tell those who were asking him, are you the Messiah? He said, yep, sure I am. Look at that. <laughs> I'm acting like it because I am the Messiah. Another example of that is when uh, Peter, uh, after Peter's confession, when Jesus asked the disciples, uh, how, uh, what, do you, what, what do the people say I am? Who do you, the people say I am? And they say, well, the prophet, uh, a prophet. Uh, but then he asked the, the disciples, who do you say that I am? So it's either Matthew 16, verse 16, or Mark 8, 29, or Luke 9, 20. And, and that's when Peter, uh, as the spokesperson of the group, proclaimed boldly, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you just for a second, wow, really? <laughs> Say that again? <laughs> no, he didn't, and he didn't, ah, uh, yeah, I'm not sure about that, we'll have to check, or we shall see, no, 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 say, happy are you, bar Jonah, son of, of Jonah, for, uh, son of John, for uh, that truth has been taught to you by my father, not by blood and flesh. So uh, you're able to understand that because of, of faith. It's, it's something different happening there. But here we see in his reaction that he agrees. Again, it's another clear example that he is fully aware of who he is. And actually, it's very uh, obvious that he asked the question for that clear reason, to bring the, people, uh, the, the, the apostles to realize, hello, are you starting to understand who I am? <laughs> It was kind of the mid-term mid, uh, mid quiz <laughs> from Jesus. So he knew exactly who he was and, and he's inviting them to recognize it. Uh, as a good teacher, I don't know about you, but I always, uh, well, a quiz helped me to anchor the, the data or the knowledge I had learned, even through mistakes. Well, then I wouldn't, oh, no, that was not the right, what, what is the right answer that will help to anchor it in my memory? So here is a good teacher. <laughs> That's what he's doing. He's just telling, asking them who, uh, who I am to help them voice it out, spell it out, and to anchor that in, 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 in them, to help them, you know, change their perspective, change their way of looking at things and, and tweak a little bit their ability to hear the message yes for them now uh, another example a third example of that is uh, during the uh, ceremonial trial with Caiaphas when, uh, when Caiaphas the high priest uh, ask him under oath, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? So that's in Mark 14, verse 61. 
And what did Jesus answer? He answered, I am. It's actually uh, the divine name that he uses. So, so it's beyond Messiah there. <laughs> He's proclaiming, I'm God, pretty much. Uh, so you find that in, in the synoptics. So uh, you find that episode also, uh, so I just said Mark uh, 14, 61, 62. Uh, in Matthew 26, 64, uh, he answers, yes, I am. And in Luke 22, uh, verse 70, he answers, uh, you say that I am. But uh, in, in, in Hebrew, basically, it's just a confirmation. Yes, you're right. Uh, I agree with what you're saying. It's, it's a, an unequivocal... I have a hard time to pronounce that one. How do you say it? Equ equivocal or... Unequivocal? Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what is that. So that means... It's a, a very strong <laughs> yes. We'll go there. I'll just say that. <clears throat> that extras any uh, evasive lecture. So it's clear that Jesus is answering with the affirmative, without uh, beating around the bush, say, yes, I am. And that actually, it's so clear that right away, the answer of the judges is like, what, what else do, do we need? Uh, he, he's said it. There's no battles at all? So, so it was very clear of what, what he was saying. And, and, uh, and actually, uh, Jesus, right after that, announces to his judges that they will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power of, of, uh, of God and coming with the clouds of heaven. So that's Mark 14.62. So right Right, uh, it's that episode, right after saying, I am, he's basically uh, saying, well, I'm, yeah, again, I'm God. Uh, but there is something uh, here. He wants to uh, correct something because he understands that uh, his people have a kind of a funny uh, understanding of who the Messiah is to be and so uh, so he wants to uh, to tell them he is the Messiah but at the same time to indicate to them that it might not be exactly the Messiah they're expecting uh, and, and more to come about that now uh, with that Jesus uh, Uh, see, the, with, with that title, there's a dignity coming with it. And it's very, very clear that the disciples understood that, and particularly uh, that episode where James and John uh, ask, or it's their mother asking uh, for, to be at the right hand and the left hand. Be, basically being, uh, can they be number one and number uh, number two? Because you'll be number one. Number two, number three in your kingdom. <laughs> Straight up with you. <laughs> so they, they show by that, uh, not only the, that there's a special dignity attached to, to that title, but uh, they show also their misunderstanding of what kind of Messiah uh, Jesus would be. They they think that he would be uh, a political messiah. Uh, the other uh, misunderstanding is, and I mentioned that, 
when Jesus asks, who do you say the people, uh, who do the people say I am? And they are saying, uh, you're a prophet. So they do recognize that Jesus has something special about him, that he's not talking like or acting like anybody else. But they fail to fully understand the depth of, of his mission, of what, what it is uh, that he's here to accomplish. And his messianic dignity is the subject of most disputes with the Pharisees. So we see that, for instance, in Matthew 12, 38, or in Mark 8, 11, or again, uh, Mark 12, 35. And then, uh, also in, in his uh, triumphant entry in Jerusalem, uh, it's all the titles used uh, there by the people is, uh, for, well, for Jesus, uh, indicate that political uh, messiah. And we see that also in uh, the accusation uh, during his trials, his messianic claims. Uh, and that's why he was ended up to, uh, to Pilate uh, as, as a revolutionary in some ways. And he was uh, the reason for his sentence to death is because of his claim to be the king of the Jews. Mm -hmm. So here we see that, that confusion. So yes, Jesus is not shy in saying, yes, I'm the Messiah, the expected one, the one who is to come. But he did it with caution and, and very specific uh, qualifications. And we see that in Mark specifically, uh, when he says repeatedly, uh, anyone basically uh, understanding who he was, say, Shh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> and it's so funny because every time it, it backfires, meaning that they, they, they just do the opposite. They tell everybody. <laughs> but that, that is, uh, that's really the, the clear indication uh, in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus is trying to convey there's something greater than, than what you think here. I am, um, yes, I am the Messiah, but not the one you expect. Watch out. Try to understand. Try to go deeper. Try to listen and, 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 and uh, yeah, listen to what I say through my words and through my actions. So we see that Jesus not only uh, say himself that he is the Messiah, but he allows others to call him the Messiah. Jesus himself uh, uses the concept of Christ, the Anointed One, only when he speaks generally about the Messiah. So that's, for instance, in Matthew 22, verse 42. Or when he warns them 
about false messiahs. He hears the, the Sikh people call him with, by the messiah, messianic title, son of David. So we have that with uh, uh, Bartimaeus, the, the blind man. Jesus, son of David, has have pity on me, for instance. So we see that in Matthew 9, 27, in Mark 10, 47 to 48, for instance. And again, uh, during his, his entry in Jerusalem, uh, he not only accepts the fact that everybody is is uh, is uh, crying out, Hosanna, the son of David. Uh, but actually, when the Pharisees come and say, Shh, tell them to stop that. I mean, seriously, they're calling you the Messiah. They're making you the, come them down. And he said, well, if I do, even the rocks will, will proclaim it. <laughs> so they might as well do it because it's the truth. Uh, so he strongly condemned the Pharisees, suggesting for him to forbid that homage uh, that was springing naturally from, from the people. So, see, it was, uh, it was very, very clear that that's the, uh, at the start of the Holy Week, uh, the start of the drama of the Passion and, res and Death and Resurrection. Of, uh, so the, 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 the high point of Jesus' mission, right there. And it starts with a clear declaration of, of who Jesus here is. And uh, through uh, those the clear title of Son of David. So he accepts that Messianic titles. Uh, but again, he did so with some reserve, some qualification. He clearly indicated that he did not accept the Messianic uh, understanding uh, that the the people put under the title, in particularly the the political national nationalistic idea of the Messiah, and 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 really we see that because he didn't allow himself to get involved in any political games whatsoever, and he didn't get involved in any uh, affairs of the world of what was going on at the, at the point. Mm. Uh, when he was asked about tasks uh, to be paid or not, when he was asked all those questions to try to figure out on which side does he stand, is he pro-Roman against the Roman? Is he, you know, what uh, on what party card did he have in his pocket? <laughs> basically, he always uh, answered in such a way that indicated that he he didn't belong to any of those. Uh, and he did, did not allow himself to be declared king. There's uh, John 6.15, for instance. Uh, there, there's one time uh, where he knew the people were, was coming up to uh, proclaim him king. And it's one of those instances where he sneak out, like from the, kind of a climbing... Where did he go? <laughs> so he, he definitely... Uh, doesn't want that title of king. So Jesus is not here to declare earthly prosperity 
earthly happiness is not here to create paradise on earth in a remote corner of the earth by defending it through uh, an army and, and it is not here to set up a gated community basically definitely not and uh, and even uh, well even more strongly he fights off uh, the even in religious matters they had so many different uh, we'll say parties in so you had the Pharisees you had the Sadducees you had the Zealots you had so many different factions in it and uh, even there he very strongly refused to to take part and how do we know that it's basically he pointed the faults of every one of them <laughs> Hypocrites, <laughs> woe to you. <laughs> but it, it was uh, to provoke them to, to change and to see uh, also that it was not, uh, it, it was not there to uh, promote one faction against the other, but to bring everybody to follow him. And, and to understand that his messianic mission was, uh, uh, was not in relation to the external legalism of the Pharisees. I don't know what it is tonight. I have a hard time to pronounce those words. Uh, and, and he showed by that also that uh, he's not the servant of the law, but he's the Lord of it. No, the Son of Man is not... Uh, well... Uh, how was it uh, about in particular about the Sabbath? Uh, the uh, Sabbath not made for man at all. Well, yeah, but uh, he's the, the master of the Sabbath, uh, basically. Uh, that's what I'm. Uh, so uh, here now, I will switch to another titles that indicates his understanding of what his messianic mission is. And the title is the Son of Man. Uh, that, that title was used in particular by the prophets. And Jesus does actually call himself uh, uh, sorry well, he does not actually call himself Messiah, but he used those uh, those titles, and in particular, the Son of Man is the one that he used the most uh, regularly. And uh, so, uh, the Son of Man had uh, that expression had a meaning at that time. It was associated with great hopes, uh, so uh, similar to uh, the hopes of uh, a Messiah to come. But uh, and it was used by the prophets, but it was not attached to any nationalistic uh, expectation or expectation of liberation from uh, from uh, yeah from oppressors or anything like that. And, and uh, the Son of Man is found in the Gospels only 
used by Jesus talking about himself. So it's only him who calls himself that name. And he always uses it in the context of his messianic role and mission. And he always uses it in the third person. Well, that could be explained by the way, the Semitic way of speaking, but it was also to emphasize uh, the unique mission of the Son of Man, which for centuries had been set in God's plan and had uh, has a, an objective meaning in the history of salvation. And that Son of Man referred directly to the vision of the prophet Daniel. And uh, the Son of Man appears there as the one who received from God the universal and eternal power in which the righteous, the faithful to God and to the law, will also participate. And that, that vision of Daniel was very, very well known by the contemporaries of, of Jesus. So here, by using that title, Son of Man, Jesus really uh, points out that his, his role is, is universal. It's not just for uh, a chosen one. It's not, again, to establish a gated community. So with the Son of Man title, there's three main claims. So the Son of Man, with that title, there's an exceptional dignity and authority attached to that. He is the Lord of the Sabbath, and that's Math, uh, Mark 2.28. He has the power to forgive sin, Mark 2.10, or Luke 5.24. And whoever confesses the Son of Man in front of people receives salvation. And whoever denies him condemns himself to eternal rejection. That's Luke 12, verse 8 and following. And the Son of Man is more than Jonah and more than Solomon. That's in Matthew 12, 38 to 42. So, we see Jesus using that and, and the way he used that title indicates there is an exceptional dignity and authority that is present right in their midst in his own person. Now the Son of Man also has a second claim and that refers now to uh, the, uh, the suffering servant in uh, in Isaiah and and connected with that Jesus speaks about the son of man who must suffer greatly and be rejected by the elders the chief priests the scribes and be killed and rise after three days so that's Mark 8 31 and following And the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes again to condemn to death 
hand it over to the Gentiles, will mock him, spit upon him, scourge him. So that's Mark 10.33 and 14.21. So it's very clear that in his messianic uh, mission, the Son of Man uh, is, uh, will undergo great suffering. And the third claim that Jesus makes using the, the, the title Son of Man is uh, of a scatological nature. You will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. And again, that refers to, uh, to prophetic uh, understanding, uh, the day of the Son of Man. A terrible day, but a day of glory. Uh. A day to, to uh, wait with expectation, with joy, not with dread, but, but with joyful expectation. So here, it, it's exactly the same that Jesus... Uh, so in Luke 17, 22, you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. And later on, but from this time on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. It's Luke 22, verse 69. And I already mentioned that uh, they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Mark thirteen twenty six. So here we have uh, a very different understanding of what kind of Messiah Jesus is just by using that title, the Son of Man, and uh, by the context and the different claims attached to it, we understand that there's something different. And the second thing that uh, Jesus brings, uh, part of his awareness and of his mission, uh, besides uh, his awareness to, of being sent and being sent as the Messiah, he is totally aware of, of who he is, meaning the Son of God. And... Uh, and that is something that was not quite expected. That is something that is quite radical. And that uh, even, you know, his people were waiting for the Messiah, expecting him, did not have that in mind. And, uh, and it's not just the Son of God. Actually, Jesus pointed that out. Uh, when during his trials, when he's ac accused to make himself the son of God, he said, wait a minute, in your own scripture, you call yourself sons of God. <laughs> and it's true that uh, typically uh, kings and sometimes prophets were called sons of God, or even uh, kind of the people in general were called sons of God. So uh, here is understanding of being God's son is a little bit deeper than that, and it's uh, with a real sense of participation in the divine nature, being truly uh, God. See, uh, when Jesus himself uh, 
talk about his divine qualities, it's not necessary in the context of his messianic mission, because the Messiah did not have to be God. But it was always associated with his own person. So, even though he always acts with a great humility, it is very clear that he's aware that there's something beyond that he is greater than Jonah or Solomon, greater than John the Baptist, than the prophets, greater than the temple himself itself. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. He is greater than the angels. So all my claims here, sorry I forgot to give you the, the quote, well, the reference where I get that from. So greater than Jonah in Matthew twelve, forty one, forty two, or Solomon greater than John the Baptist, the prophets, and the temple. It's Matthew uh, 12 as well, but earlier on, verse 6. And in John 14, 11, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. He is greater than the angels, for the Son of Man sent his angels. So that means he has authority over them. That we, we hear that in Matthew 16, 27. And again, he is the Lord of the Sabbath in Matthew 20, uh, 12, verse 8, or Mark 2.28. I, I love that when you're talking about the humility. Like it came to mind there when he... Uh, this, oops, the one about the... I think it's the, the prostitute, where he's she about to be stoned to death. And he just comes in, and he's, you're talking about being aware. He comes in and he, he says, let him, without sin, cast the first stone. Like, although he is, he's, so hum, like, he's so humble, so loving, so caring, that he's aware that all of us fail, all of us, like, there's a, like a humane side to him, like, let him without sin cast the first stone, knowing that we all fall, knowing that she she falls and she's probably fallen so much before him, but he helped her up to her feet and said, "Go, your sins are forgiven, or go and sin no more." Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? There's that like forgiveness side, although being aware that you know you have to abide by the law, but there's this merciful side to God that a, a lot a lot of people forget about. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I think that's so classic. Talking about that humility, that love. Like in a, a, a scene when we're watching The Passion, and he's standing, and it's just captured in this one, but he's just standing there, and there's such like a, a humility, the, like a love, a, a, a caring, compassionate like uh, face that he has on him. This being Jim Conviesel, the actor. I mean, that Jesus, we don't know what he's, he's looking like, but he has this just stare that he's looking at. at he's he's uh, persecutioners, like the people you're gonna, you know, put him to death, but he's just looking at such love towards the people who are kicking him to death, or scourging him, punching him, spitting on him, like we we were talking about earlier. Like through all that, he still loved them. Mm -hmm. He still looked at them with love and joy, even though that they were gonna put him to death. So like just to know that and to to love that out, like regardless of what you do, although you have to remember, like it's not free. You don't just get to heaven just by doing what you want. Like, but although that we fall every day, that that love is still unconditional. You know what I mean? But to get back 
Sorry, I just <laughs> went on a tangent there. Do continue. Just a wee bit. But what struck me in what you said is, uh, even though, I mean, great humility, and at the same time, great exercise of a great authority. Yes. Uh-huh. And I was just picturing myself, you know, people bringing me, uh, being in that situation and being instead of Jesus, and just daring saying that and receiving the first stone. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas no one dared do anything. Yeah. So he had that that authority just in, in his presence, in his just being there, uh, obviously that, that was beyond that. Yeah. And he was aware of this uh, authority even in matter of uh, religious legisla- uh, legislation. And uh, we see that in the Sermon of the Mount. Uh, you have heard said in the Old Testament, I tell you, so he speaks, he put himself at the same level as the legislator of the Old Testament. And, and even higher because he trumps the legis- legislation from the Old Testament. Yeah. So that shows that he is really aware of, uh, well, of his authority. And, and technically, who was the legislator of the Old Testament? God. <laughs> I was going to say that. It was not Moses. Moses was just the, the spokesperson. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the chairman. So, uh, just by doing that, he shows that he has that authority to, to tweak, to uh, adjust hmm. things. Uh, the other thing that shows that he is aware of his divine nature is, and, and everybody else is aware of that when he says it, because that's when they start to criticize it. Who do you think you are? It's when he says, uh, Courage, child, your sins are forgiven. And the reaction is, Who can forgive sin but God? Who do you think you are? Who does he think he is? Uh, so here, and, and he's like, Well, okay, you don't believe that. All right. What is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or wait, stand up and walk to a paralytic. And, and he does to show that, okay. No, no, no. I, it's not empty words. Mm. What I say right now is not empty words. He has that authority to be able to do that. And again, that's a clear affirmation of his identity, of, his, of who he is as God. Uh, and then, then uh, uh, and he does things in, is in uh, miracles and wonders in his own name. I remember, I mean, there's so many examples, but for instance, the leper, uh, if you want, you can make me clean and say, yeah, I do want, be clean. Yeah, of course I want that. <laughs> so it is in his own name. Anyone else, uh, including us, when we pray, it's in the name of Jesus at the time that was in the name of God. Uh, but here it's, a, it's in, in his own name. Uh-huh. So that in itself indicates, uh-uh. <laughs> mess with it. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and he uh, shows his his identity, uh, and uh, and and uh, that expresses itself again is in uh, in his religious power of judging, 
for the Son of Man will come with his angels in his Father's glory, then he will repay everyone according to his conduct. So that's in Matthew 16, 27. So that means, I, I, I have the authority to judge. Watch out, you better behave. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> um, he's also aware of his special relationship with the Father. Uh, my Father and I are one. And he speaks about the Father in such a way uh, that uh, the people at the time had no uh, confusion about it. They understood clearly uh, that connection that right away said, but by saying that, you make yourself equal to God. So, so they understood exactly what he was talking about. Mm. No mystery there. And finally, uh, I, I mentioned that when he used uh, the, 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 the name of God, I am. He uses that in so many different places, Not, uh, particularly John uh, chapter 6, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the gates, I am the good shepherd, I am the vine, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and even when he's asked during his trials, he, and he answers directly, I am. Right there. Just that, that's it. Uh, so all, all this, uh, you might say, well, they, yeah, but he is, uh, I mean, I, I say... I am a French man. I am, uh, <laughs> you know, and I use I am as well. But uh, we have to put it in the context and in the language he used. In the language, he used a form that is, uh, when I say in English, I am, that I'm talking about the present right now. Uh, in his way of using that verb, it indicates an action that is started way back that is continuing right now and will perdure for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. So it, it's much deeper than just, uh, I am the son of a baker. Yeah. <laughs> Which is true. What? <laughs> it's not a lie. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and really the last thing here in regard to his total awareness of his divinity is that uh, Jesus requires religious worship of himself, for himself. Mm -hmm. How does that fit with the humidity? I don't know. <laughs> Get on your knees. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, no, but man. he says, uh, so in, for instance, Matthew 10, 32 to 33, everyone who acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my heavenly Father. But whoever denies me before others, I will deny before my Heavenly Father. What does that mean to acknowledge Him? That means to recognize who He is. So that means public worship, basically. Mm. Right there. Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened. Everyone who has given up houses and brothers and sisters or fathers or mothers or children or lands for the sake of my name will receive a hundred times more and will inherit in eternal life. So all those things done for him as an eternal consequence 
for those doing it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So all those all those things, and, and there's also the, the Beatitudes, uh, that, uh, the end of the Beatitudes that uh, convey the same idea. So, when we see all that, we can be like the people of his time. Who does he think, think he is? <laughs> so, let's just a quick uh, word on credibility of Jesus. His awareness of his mission, messianic mission, of his identity, all this is a historical fact. Because the consciousness of the man cannot be separated from his personality. That's why there's only three possible options there. Either he deliberately misled his surrounding, uh, the people around him, by claiming to be the Messiah, he was not. And just for his own benefit, and it failed. <laughs> so, in other words, either he is a liar, or second option, he's a lunatic, mentally ill, that uh, just claim uh, all those things, but because he was fully deluded. Or he's the real deal. That awareness was real, and his mission was true, and he accomplished it completely. Mm. There's no... Well, it's either one of those three. What do you think it is? Is, is what I love about like our faith, like especially when you debate or when you like I'm not going to say argue, but like I debate's a great better word with like people uh, atheists or people who believe in like the big the big bang theory and all this like is like our we can't prove to an extent like really the existence of God. Our faith tells us that that He exists and that all He did and what He what happened to him, etc., etc., that that all happened through our faith. But when you talk about, like, evolution and proven evolution and all this, like, science is through observation and experiment, and you can't prove evolution or you can't experiment on it, observe it, because, it, you know, it's happened so many years ago and, like, we evolved from X, Y, and Z. Why is it still not happening? And all this type of thing. But, like, our faith... You know, the authority God is, the I am, all this, it's just like, what am I trying to say? God, you know, I'm up again, the times of oh my goodness, like, the 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 I am, the, oh, you know what, I am, don't even know where I'm going here. <laughs> so, just to answer, I love uh, God. God loves me. For, for those for three questions, uh, there's a practical <laughs> thing. Looking at the evidence we have, we see that Jesus was uh, a sane, not insane, person. Oh. Mm -hmm. In mind, body, and soul. He was uh, more than... Uh, yeah, he made a great impression on people. The children and crowds clung to him. They were attracted. Uh, sick people were waiting for him. Sinners came to him. He was open to everybody and welcoming them. It seems that he had a balanced personality, welcoming everybody. 
and and enduring, uh, even on the natural level. He was uh, he had friends, real friends. Even though I spoke about his being a little apart and type of loneliness, still he had friends. Well, we know that with uh, with Lazarus, uh, Mary and Martha, uh, that he, that were uh, specific, specifically uh, mentioned as his dear friends. Uh, we see that you, you know uh, in in body he traveled quite a bit. Going uh, from uh, very well uh, high level Jericho to down to Bethany, you know, hard terrain and all that, uh, that he was in, able to endure hardship. We see that in particular during his passion, way of the cross, uh, where he showed physical strength and resistance and mental strength and resistance on a human level. Uh, but we see also through his 30 years of hidden life that Jesus' everyday life was simple, modest, and poor. Mm. Uh, that he came from a uh, poor, simple people. Spent most of his life in that small town uh, and, and avoided publicity. He was not labeled as a fool or crazy. Uh, and we know that because at some point the people come, well, his people come to get him because they thought he had lost his mind. And the answer is very clear that he, he didn't. So even in that episode, we, uh, we see that people is, think that he did lose his mind, which means that it, he had his whole mind before, and, and in his answer, he shows that he didn't lose his mind. That he was totally in full possession of his wit. Uh, so we see in all those things that uh, Jesus cannot be called a lunatic. Uh, we see also in all this that Jesus was not a liar. Because there's so many different episodes that he could have uh, his answers were uh, so unexpected where he could have smoothed things out and worked it out much more easily. Even in, in his uh, trials, he could have worked things out to get out of it. Awesome. If he really tr was an imposter pretending to be, well, he could have easily get out of it in, in many ways. Mm -hmm. But just by not talking to Pilate, just by, I mean, there's all those different things that he did or didn't do that shows that he was not an in, in, in imposter. So there's only one possibility remaining. He is the real deal. Mm. <laughs> that his claim was real. So here it is. That was a long one. Oh boy. Uh, well, we started 10 minutes late, so not too uh. bad. <laughs>